Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It's Thanksgiving weekend. Welcome to The Truth About Money here on KFI AM 640. Rick Edelman and Brandon Corso and Isabel Barrow. And no, on this Thanksgiving weekend, I'm not very happy. What? You have to be happy on Thanksgiving. What, what's going on? I have bronchitis. Oh, That no. stupid cough that wouldn't go away. Gene, oh. fi- And the worst part is, Gene was right. Could you do us? <laughs> That's the worst part. I have to, Gene's like, I of told you so. Of course she is. Yeah. Have you given it to her? No, God. Thankfully. That would be, oh, that would, you, know, would you I'd be, mind? I would never uncut us. I'd be dead. Yeah. <laughs> would you mind moving a little bit further well, away from us Well, all of you are in, in serious jeopardy right now. Radio, radio <laughs> studios are notorious for being the most plague filled rooms because we're all talking into the same microphones that we're standing an inch from touching the same gear all the audio boards and everything else is just you know it's you guys are like sorry oh Uh, boy bring on the hand sanitizer so you know what can i tell you but uh how was your thanksgiving very nice thanks your husband's recovering nicely yeah he's just had a a full hip replacement surgery so uh young yeah, thirty nine. But he's a he was a Sports, athlete, yeah, yeah, his whole life, and he played uh, hockey pretty seriously. Still does somewhat. Teaches my son, uh, and it's just one of those things I've heard is a common byproduct of being a hockey player and football. Yeah. And football, yeah. He didn't play football. Well, just but... high contact sports. Yeah, it's just uh, right. Wow, so good. He'll be on the tennis court before too long. Let's hope. Uh, and how was yours, Brandon? Uh, we had a great Thanksgiving. One of my favorite holidays. Um, and ate way too much, obviously. And we've got leftovers, which is great. You watching football and you warm up some food. My Thanksgiving uh, was over. Let's just leave it at that. Um, you know, bronchitis filled. The world's most pointless football game. Redskins and Giants, really. That's the best the NFL could come up with on Thanksgiving Day. Um, what can I tell you? But here we are in shopping weekend, and so everything's good. So here's the weird thing. Everybody talks about eating too much. Over Thanksgiving, I think it's a rule. I think you have oh, to. Oh, absolutely. But nobody ever talks about spending too much. But in fact, that's what a lot of families do over Thanksgiving. What is it? What What did it cost? We have the new numbers that just came out this this year. Isabel, what's the cost of Thanksgiving this year? So the average celebrator is spending about one hundred and sixty-five dollars or so on Thanksgiving. Is that per person? Per celebrator? person. But, celebrator. Okay. And, and here's like why that. I'm going to differentiate that the celebrator because if you're the host, you know you're spending way more than that. Oh, so that's yeah. just for people that are celebrating, and most of that is, of course, spent on Wait, travel. Wait, the celebrator is the person who shows up, right? Showing up. Hopefully, they're bringing something. One hundred and sixty-five bucks per person to show up. That's right, just Wait, to show up. I mean, the celebrator is not the host; they're not celebrating. Too? Well, they're, they are too, but now we're no, talking about... they're not. Ask any host. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> and so what's the host spending? Well, host is spending a lot more than that, probably two or three times that when you take into account the cost of the turkey. Uh, you know, there's $4.85 billion in turkeys sold per year in the United States. Wow. $4.85 billion. So we're spending that on turkeys. I did. 
Not $4.85 billion. <laughs> it felt like it. Okay. So I hope you got your money's worth because even though, Brandon, you have lots of leftovers, you can't take them back to the supermarket to get cash back. No worry there. We'll eat it all. Okay. So, um, so I hope that's part of your budget. What a lot of folks don't realize, they wonder how come I keep spending more than I thought I would spend, is that most people only take into consideration their ordinary daily expenses. They don't take into consideration holidays where you're going to spend money in travel, in food, well, perhaps new clothes, and that has to be part of your expectation when it comes to spending. So if you're wondering why is it that I'm always spending more than I thought, it's because you're not thinking it through. Well, and then you're going to start spending even more when we move into Black Friday Small business. Well, and here we are this weekend. Of course, Black Friday was already come and gone, and now it's Cyber Weekend. What do they call it? Cyber Monday? Cyber Monday. And so, what's going on? How much money are we spending this weekend between Thursday night and Sunday night? Do we have any idea how much money we're spending? Somewhere around $13 billion over the weekend. Wow. This is what's getting the economy chumming along just fine and why corporate profits are so strong. So, 40% of the sales over the Black Friday weekend and Cyber Monday, et cetera, come from uh, mobile devices. So what people are doing is they're getting their phones out and they're either shopping online on their mobile device or their iPad, or they're going into the store and they're price shopping with their mobile device. So this is a huge shift over the last decade or so. See, doesn't anybody think that's an ethical issue anymore? Am I the only one who thinks there's an ethical problem with doing that? Price shopping? Yeah. No, of course not. The smart, smart shopper, savvy shopper. No, wait, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. You, you walk into a retail store and you see a product that you like and you go onto your phone to see if you can buy it elsewhere cheaper. Absolutely. Typically online. But the online site didn't have to physically have the item shipped to their store. They didn't have to build a showroom and hire sales clerks and pay for the brick and mortar and the rent of the mall, which is why their prices are higher than the online site that is nothing but a warehouse in Poughkeepsie. And you don't see an ethical issue of that, of going into one store which incurred those costs, allowed you to touch it, feel it, test it, try it. No, money talks. Yeah, I mean, there's plenty of times I think that Amy and I will go to uh, a store near us in town and say, you know what, we know we're paying more, but we're going to do it consciously. But I have no problem. That's competition, right? And so, you know, but if that keeps up, if that keeps up, that local store will go out of business because no one's buying; they're simply shopping, and you won't have that local retailer available to you to test it, try it, taste it, touch it, etc. And now you'll be stuck having to deal with it exclusively online without knowing anything about the product because you haven't been able to check it out first. Well, Maybe this is why there is Small Business Saturday. Exactly. 25% of people do say that they shop on Small Business Saturday. And supporting local businesses by shopping on Small Business Saturday is a great way to help generate jobs in your community. It helps your tax dollars stay local. So according to the Small Business Administration, uh, 28 million small businesses in America account for 54% of all sales in the United States. 
54% of all sales. So people are still spending money, Rick, in these small businesses. Good. And they're getting unique things. Good. They're getting stuff that's maybe locally made that came from their, their town or their neighborhood. Good. Um, so it's don't worry. It's not an ethical dilemma here. You Good. know, you just got to. Because as a small business owner, you know, I, I guess I'm a little sensitive to it. You know, Edelman Financial Services is a small business. We've got. You know, uh, not even 200 financial advisors. You come out of the Merrill, you know, Mother Merrill with 15,000 brokers at their big box brokerage firms all around the country. I'm like, you know, what about us little guys who are trying really hard to deliver fabulous service and advice uh, to local folks in our community where we live and work? And here you come along, somebody going online to obtain it just because they can save a couple yeah, of bucks. Yeah, but whether it's a financial services outfit or a grocer or a hardware store, being small has advantages too. You're nimble. You don't often have the overhead costs that some of these big companies like Walmart have, even Amazon for that matter. And so I, I, like, I, I, I don't feel bad for the small shop. I think they have amazing advantages that some of the big companies don't. And um, so I don't think they're going anywhere. That's, that's my position on it. So as you do your holiday shopping, support and patronize the local small business. There's my editorial. I'm Rick Edelman. This is The Truth About Money with Brandabella in the studio with me. And if I get it right, you'll both walk out of here sick. Triple Eight, Plan Rick. That's Triple. Who says I'm not giving? Triple Eight, seven five two sixty seven forty two. Online at ricedelman.com. Coming up next in the show, what one word would you use to describe investing? Think about it. We've got a new study with results that might surprise you. Want to get more financial planning and investment stories delivered right to your inbox? Subscribe to our weekly newsletter. Just go to edelmanfinancial.com slash newsletter to sign up. Let's get the latest from Larry Perel on the KFI Newsroom. Welcome back to the program. Rick Edelman here. Yeah, I'm a little strung out. i got more drugs in me than Keith Richards at a Stones concert. <laughs> Um, hey, you better be careful. You, you're in charge of the ship, okay? Uh, well, I'll let you guys do most of the talking today so I can prevent my bronchitis from becoming pneumonia. Um, we're, um, what are we talking about? There's an amazing story out of Japan, Brandon. Yeah, there was a Japan survey, and they asked investors, in one word, how would you describe investing? So think about that for a minute. Give me... Your one word, how would you describe investing in just one word? Success. I like that optimistic. Wealth. Okay. I mean, lots of words, mm -hmm. um, but yeah, um, they're all synonyms of that. And mine was opportunity. Yeah. So let me drill down and tell you what the answers were. Oh, I'm afraid to hear this. <laughs> you know what's coming. And I'm going to look at Japanese investors in their 20s. The top uh, description. Any guesses on the top description? I'm afraid to. Uh, but I, but I, we've got the sound effects ready for my outrage, so go right ahead. The first, and this is 30%, said risky. You can't be serious, man. You cannot be serious. Very serious. The second answer, gambling. Way wrong answer. And the third is scary. I am 
very disappointed. So how can that be that their answers, this is 60%, came up with risky gambling and scary. With their, well, their vast knowledge and experience in investing, that's what they conclude. And, and if I could give them a little bit of a break in Japan, the stock market is lower today than it was in 1989. But it's still no excuse. It's at a 20-year high. They could invest globally, right? They've probably heard mm -hmm. of the United States and our stock market. But how could it be that our answers are so incredibly different? Well, I think the United States population would have similar answers. Less than 50% of U.S. households own stocks in any form, not in a retirement plan at work, not in a mutual fund, let alone individual securities. And I would venture to say most Americans would probably answer similarly with memories of 2008. But as a financial advisor, it, this pains us. Oh, it's awful. Because we, if you look at how you create wealth for yourself, it's through, one, through your hard work and your decisions to save and invest, right? But two, it's compound interest, having profits compound over many years, many decades. And if you take that away, when we try to help people achieve what it is they're trying to achieve and you take away growing your money, if you're not going to invest and grow it, you're going to put it in your mattress or wherever you're going to put it, it, it makes ach achieving that goal so, so difficult. Well, and in the U.S., there's still 14 percent of our of our assets in the country are still in cash. I mean, in Japan, it's more than half. So we are looking at a really different uh, overall philosophy about investing in savings. But what's happened is in, in Japan and just in a similar way with millennials here, they were coming of age during two major uh, crises in our stock market, our dips. You know, we had the, the tech bubble in 1999 to 2001, and then the 2008 stock market uh, correction that, uh, of course, uh, has caused maybe some continued fallout for people that saw that, and that was their first experience with understanding investing. But the problem is they're calling it gambling which demonstrates a complete lack of, under, of understanding and familiarity with how investing works. Investing isn't gambling. Those are two very separate activities. George Patton said it best, the famous World War II general, there's nothing wrong with taking risk. That's quite different from being rash. In other words, if you're going to gamble by putting a casino chip onto uh, a craps table, that's a gamble because you don't know what's going to happen next. But in the best analogy in investing is you put that chip on the craps table and leave it there for a really long time. That's the difference. In gambling, you either win or you lose right now and that's it. You're done with no control of any sort. But in investing, you have all kinds of control. You can control how much of your money you put into a given investment. You can control how long you leave the money there. You can control how much diversification you engage in. You can control how much time and effort you spend in analysis and research of the companies that you're going to invest in. And yet they just indiscriminately refer to it as gambling. It's just, oh, it's so scary. Well, I think there's a lack of uh, experience, one, and then two, education. Mm -hmm. And so that is a major problem. And you don't have enough information on your own. You have to, one, start to educate yourself on investing and, and what's the right way to handle your money because we're not taught it in school. And so you do need to find a, a way to, to educate yourself. Let me... Uh, talk about a different survey here in the United States. And the survey asked millennials, uh, also a, a young group of people, what's the best way to invest money for 10 years or longer? And the top answer 
was real estate. Ah! 28%, followed by CDs. So here we're seeing in the United States some of these answers that don't make any sense to us. Let me give you an example of how that's not serving you very well. From 2010 to the summer of 2017, if you look at the broad real estate market and how it's done, it's called the Case-Shiller National Home Price Index. It's up 3.7% per year over that seven-year period. The S&P 500, which is a broad, large U.S. stock index, over the same period is up over 13%. Per year. Per year. That's right. So 10 percentage points better per year. And if you go back further periods, you're going to say the same past performance, that the stock market over long periods of time has outperformed real estate as a broad market or as a broad home index. And this explains why it's such a crisis, that if you didn't have to invest in stocks to achieve the kinds of returns over decades that they have historically produced. Can we insert, Isabel, the disclaimer whenever we talk about past performance? And of course, past performance is no indication of future results. Any assertion to the contrary is a federal offense. But having said all of that, um, if you're going to spend your life in bank CDs because you think that's a better investment than stocks it's possible you could end up not achieving your financial goals. And that's the problem here. It's not that, oh, I spent my life eating chocolate when you spent your life eating vanilla. So what? We both enjoyed ice cream. But here we're talking about a fundamental impact on your financial future if you choose one over the other. It's almost like if you're going to run a race and you can picture the track around the high school uh, football field, and st- Instead of running one lap, these people are running four, and it's because they're making these fundamental bad decisions. And again, as Isabel said, we don't know what's going to happen in the future. We can't say with certainty that stocks are going to outperform over the next 10 years. And we're careful the way we invest. We need to look at when we need the money. But that simply explains why we're not investing only in stocks, right? Well, and in the, in the ultimate irony of this is that millennials also have an expectation of 16% what? annual returns. What? So, <laughs> exactly. So, they're thinking that the stock, maybe this is why they're thinking of, of st- the stock market as a quote-unquote gamble, because they're expecting 16% annual returns. Where'd you get that? So, that is in a Fidelity Investment study in its 2017 Millionaire Outlook study. And millennials surveyed said they're expecting 16% returns. 16% average returns. And what is the average annual return of the S&P 500 since 1926? According to Morningstar, it's been around 10% since 1926. So they're expecting 60% higher returns than we've had over the last century. Right. This is probably what uh, we like to call recency bias. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> An unrealistic expectation, which is certain to lead to disappointment, which will simply reinforce their negative view on stocks not delivering what it is they want them to deliver. So, gee, you might as well buy CDs. Well, if you're expecting 16 and you get 10, you're disappointed and therefore you're going to change your investment strategy. And so these answers are all over the place. And it makes no sense if you have questions related to what amount of your money should be in CDs as opposed to real estate, as opposed to stocks. And within stocks, how do you diversify that between U.S. companies, international companies, growth value, small, mid-cap, and large-cap? This is what we try to help our clients with every single day. If you want a second opinion, you can reach out to us, rickedelman.com or 888 
752-6742. That's 888-PLAN-RICK. We'd love to sit down with you and give you an opportunity to see how we're doing it. Yes, just like with a doctor, it's always good to get a second opinion. And if you have questions on your financial goals, retirement, estate planning, or anything in general about money, reach out to us as well at 888-PLAN-RICK or visit us at rickedelman.com. That's ricedelman.com. Coming up later in the show, how much money is too much to have invested in one stock? One of America's storied companies is going through a huge transition, providing an important lesson for all of us on diversification. Stay with us here on The Rick Edelman Show, 888-PLAN-RICK, online at ricedelman.com. Let's get the latest from Larry Perel on the KFI Newsroom. Thanks for joining us on the Rick Edelman Show. We're heading to Marlboro, Massachusetts. Michael, how can we help you? Hi, how are you doing today? Yeah, I'd like to uh, talk to you about my portfolio and some you know, recent uh, life changes that we just had. Um, I just, uh, I'm 60 years old and just recently was laid off. And we have a... With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. You've worked hard for what you have. Your money, your assets, your 401k, and home. Isn't it all worth protecting? Nearly one in four consumers have been a victim of identity theft. LifeLock Ultimate Plus helps protect your finances with up to $3 million in reimbursement. LifeLock alerts you to identity threats you might miss. And if your identity is stolen, your dedicated U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. Let LifeLock help protect what you've worked so hard for. Save 25% off your first year on LifeLock Ultimate Plus at LifeLock.com aware. Terms apply. Uh, I think we have a pretty decent portfolio right now. We have a portfolio of about $2.75 million, which um, 275000 is in cash, and the, and the remaining is in a um, IRA. And, and I believe we have a, um, uh, a fairly diversified portfolio, uh, but it's, it's probably too heavily weighted towards equities, about 70% equities and 30% bonds. So I'm thinking that it's just time to move into the retirement mode. But I, I want to get into more of a portfolio where it's more of a protection uh, income and, and hopefully generate some growth. So I, I wanted to get your thoughts on more of a fixed income portfolio and specifically convertible bonds. I, I know quite a bit about equities. I'm always you know, following the markets, but I'm really spending some more time right now researching and learning about bonds and the convertible bonds uh, asset class. And so I wanted to see what you thought about you know, a managed portfolio of convertible bonds, you know, convertible preferred bonds, you know, some high-yield bonds, and you know, and, and maybe some, you know, if I can, some you know fixed income ETFs. And I was wondering what you thought about that, and if this thing, is it maybe not diversified enough? If I'm putting too much into fixed income into bonds. So, Michael, you've accumulated a lot of money. Looking at your portfolio today, do you have any convertible bonds in it now? No, we do not. So, so where's the question coming from? Did you 
see a commercial? Does somebody approach you with a technique? Where is this question about convertible well, bonds coming from? I just see you know, it spending, you're just researching the whole bond industry. And I came across uh, an investment advisor in Massachusetts and uh, was started reading a lot about convertible bonds is how they can sort of track, you know, a bit of what the market's doing, but they offer some downside protection. So I'd never really heard of them, so I just kept reading more and just doing more and more research and, you know, about the whole uh, asset class, and it just it really was piquing my interest. Okay, and, and let me take a step back, because we don't often get questions on convertible bonds, and so make sure all the listeners are with us. A convertible bond, it's a debt security that you can convert to equity or stock. And so it's like a bond with a stock option or what's called a call option. So if you think about it, it's pretty different than your typical bond or stock. I mean, with a typical stock, if you buy a stock, it's not going to change. And if you buy a bond, it's not going to change. So this is a little bit different. And so it's got some good things and bad things. The good thing is that you have the option to convert. And so if you convert it to stock and that stock happens to do well, you can make a profit. But with investing, when you get something, you often give something up. So convertible bonds often pay lower interest on the bond side compared to similar bonds that you can get with similar characteristics. And so that's kind of big picture how this category of investment works. Right. And also, in general, convertible bonds are more correlated, meaning they travel in the same sort of pattern, more so with stocks than to bonds, meaning you may be taking a similar risk as you would by buying that company's stock. And, and in general, the performance tends to be lower. So why not, in that case, just buy the stock? It's also really difficult to determine credit rating of these securities. They may not even have ratings. They're also really not a very widely used asset class, Brandon. I mean, we don't see them very often. It's not often that you know we even come across someone who knows what they are. So liquidity and transparency may be difficult. I think in general, it's probably not a good alternative for a bond. And in this case, Michael, what I think is interesting is you're 60, you're in a position where you have a, a good amount of money, and you're thinking, okay, I'm too heavily weighted to stocks at this point, and I want to I want to move to an income-producing portfolio. But the thing is, is Michael, you're 60. You've got you know, maybe 30, 40 more years to keep this portfolio invested. So what I want to try to caution you against is moving too far the other side of the pendulum, right? To go from maybe too heavily in stock to too heavily in something else. And also, let's not put all your eggs in in one basket and focus on one asset class, which would be convertibles or or bonds or fixed income in general. So I, I think let's sort of take a step back and think about what really do you need to do in terms of income generation and what's an appropriate portfolio to do that? Because you don't want to also give up the long-term growth that you might need to offset inflation for the next 40 years just so that you can have that income security. Does that make sense, Michael? Sure, sure, I understand. Yeah, that's what I was worried about is you know, swinging the pendulum too far from one side to the other side. But, you know, and I'm also, you know, am I being over-cautious or thinking that, you know, how much longer can this market continue on the path that it's going. And so we're just, you know, it's like, you know, we've, we've made some good returns over the last years and we're, we're, it seems to be we're in a good position, but, you know, should I go into that protection mode now? Because at my age and in, in the, in the career I've been in, it's, you know, not a lot of people looking for someone my age at this point. And so I'm thinking just, is it best now just to go into the retirement mode? Well, have you and, looked at, you mentioned you were laid off. Do you plan to go back to work or are you unsure at this moment? Well, 
I I've, um, have been looking for a while. I'd like to. Uh, I'd like to go back to work for a while. I've, I've picked up a sort of a full-time consulting position, and which is going to be okay for a while. But, you know, I, I would like to, um, you know, I just keep thinking more and more. It's like it would be better to go into the retirement mode at this point, and then maybe after, you know, a year or so into the retirement, if I could pick up a small small job to help um, bring in some extra income. I'm not so sure I want to get back into the full-time mode that I had been in for the last, you know, 30 years. All right. So we, we hear you loud and clear. You feel like lifestyle-wise, you'd love to be retired. So really, the question becomes, financially, have you accumulated enough money to live as long as you're going to live, providing the income you need for the rest of your life? So have you done that planning? Have you looked at it and said, look, if I don't work again, do we have enough money to provide the income we need for the rest of our life? And you know, it, we we have been doing the um, we have been doing the planning. We have been doing uh, some of the research. Part of it is that we obviously have to cut back our lifestyle and our expenses, which is fine. It's just my wife and I. We have no kids, and it's now you know we've been living in the, in the Northeast, which is obviously you know quite expensive and high taxes. And so the the, the plan and the goal is is to move into a uh, a much more tax friendly state uh, with a um, downsize in in the housing also. So I think that we can, uh, the numbers seem to work. I would would certainly feel a lot better if we had a three uh, at uh, at the front of our portfolio as the the 2.7 or the 2.75. So, you know, and that's why it'd be nice if, if I could work for another couple years so that we could get that portfolio up into the $3 million range. And then I'd, I think we'd feel a lot more comfortable. But, you know, back to, to the, the convertible bonds and stuff, so you think that you know, it's, it's not diversified enough. Because, you know, I, I, didn't, I just got finished reading your um, Rescue Your Money uh, book, and uh, it was looking at some of your, your sample diversified portfolios. And, you know, and, and, and I've been following you guys and Rick for some time, and do you think that it's just we're just not diversified enough? If it's it's just too much into the bonds end. If if we go into the, the convertibles and you know and fixed uh, fixed income and high yield bonds end, it doesn't give us the enough growth with our funds to last the next thirty years or so. Michael, I think that you should first. Go to rickedelman.com. Go to the upper right-hand corner. There's a blue button that says try our GPS. And that's a really great way to sort of gauge. And you you said you've looked at some of the books. You've looked at the sample portfolios. That's going to help you gauge whether or not there's a portfolio that's a little bit more uh, customized for your specific situation. And even better is to sit down with someone to look at all of the income, to look at the expenses, to look at the big picture here and figure out whether or not you are properly diversified or not. So let's kind of uh, look at this from a 10,000 foot view here and say, all right, let's let's come up with a plan that's more customized to you. And rather than trying to give you this advice on, on this phone call, uh, let's have you start out with edelmanfinancial.com and, and give that a, a shot. Otherwise, I think there's an office in uh, Newton, Mass., very close to you. We have advisors ready and willing to talk to you about your portfolio and give you some advice there. And, Michael, okay. when we look at convertible bonds, when we look at the risks and reward and the characteristics of that category, we choose to invest 0% in that category. So we believe, well, okay. if you, you've been listening to this show, you know well that we believe in broadly diversified portfolios, broadly diversified stock side, bond side, fixed income, 
international securities, commodities, real estate. We don't choose to do convertible bonds. So that's our conclusion. And so you're asking all the right questions. I really think you should drill down and look at the income needs you have, because whether you're retired for good or you work another year or two, you're on the cusp. I mean, you're really close. And so we do want to make sure, one, you can afford to retire, two, are you taking too much risk? And if you want a partner and you don't want to do that alone, we'd be happy to sit down with you. We have offices not far from you in Newton and Foxborough. And so you could call the very same number you called today, 888-PLAN-RICK, and make an appointment to sit down and really look at this with somebody before you make really some big, big decisions here. Yeah, I will do that. Yeah, because we've been researching. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Now for about four months, and uh, we're not ready to make any changes just yet, but we know that we need to make these changes soon. Well, but I, I will do that for sure. I look forward to uh, reaching out to uh, to your guys here. Well, we look forward to sitting down with you, and we wish you the best and a happy retirement. And we'll look at the portfolio and figure out what changes do you need to make. If you're listening to this and you have questions, you've accumulated money, you're either already retired or you're close to getting there, and you want a second opinion, 888-PLAN-RICK, 888-752-6742, or online at rickedelman.com. Great. Thank you very much. Appreciate it. Thanks for the phone call, Michael. You can do what he did. Call 888-PLAN-RICK. That's 888-752-6742. Or online at ricedelman.com. I'm Rick Edelman. Stay with us. Let's get the latest from Larry Perel in the KFI Newsroom. It's the truth about money. Back to the phones. Off to Columbia, Maryland. James, welcome to the program. Thank you. And I recently retired from the federal government. I got my packet from the TSP. I, I plan to leave my TSP account alone. I don't foresee needing the money for 15 to 20 years. But I was wondering what you thought about putting other investments into the TSP. That's an option I have. So are you talking about other IRAs and you're considering yes, yes. rolling them over? Let's yes. talk about the TSP. Number one, congratulations on retirement. How long did you work for the federal government? 33 years. Wow, good for you. So looking at the TSP, are you making choices on your own about how to invest the money that you've accumulated there? Yes. And share with us how you're doing that. Are you comfortable? How are you splitting it between the fund alternatives that you have? Well, right now, it's just 75-25 CNG. Okay. And so for listeners, the C fund is like an S&P 500 index fund. The G fund is a fixed income guaranteed fund. So that's bonds, but it can't go down in value. And so, James, you mentioned you don't need income for a long period of time. So you've looked at your income needs and your other income sources, and you do not anticipate having to take money from the TSP? No, I'm not. I look at it as my long-term insurance. Okay. And then talk about the IRAs. Are you investing those on your own, or do you have somebody that's assisting you with that? No, uh, I did it on my own. Okay. I don't have many. Most of my assets are in TSP. But Okay. So I think you need to evaluate each and every account separately. You need to look at the fees that you're paying. 
You need to look at the investment alternatives that are in each because the TSP, what's really good about that is the expenses are very low. The bad thing about that is you're limited in terms of your investment choices. And then after looking at them individually, I think you need to look at it holistically. You need to look at all of the accounts and say, are they all invested in the way that's appropriate for my situation and my goals and so forth? And I think also, James, there are two things that you've mentioned that are a constant in in advice that we're giving to uh, callers and and our clients as well, which are you mentioned you're going to leave your TSP alone, correct? So when you said I'm going to leave it alone, that sounds to me like you're not going to be, for example, rebalancing it or... Oh, oh, no, I do that. Okay. Um, Periodically, I rebalance. I'm not going to take it out and, you know... Put it anywhere else. So when you say leave it alone, you mean I- I'm not going to tap into it for income for the time being? No. Okay. But you are going to be constantly or on a regular basis, I shouldn't say constantly, but you're going to be regularly reviewing your asset allocation in that uh, C fund and G fund to see whether or not that's still the right mix? Yeah. Oh, yes. I, I rebalance and it used to be quarterly. Then Now I do it percentage-wise. But okay. Yeah. Okay. And... What made you decide to choose just the S&P 500 type fund as the C fund and the bond fund, the G fund? Well, I felt safe with the C because I wouldn't need it for a long time. And then um, some of my other IRAs are more conservative or more like balanced funds. Okay. Okay. So, but but it, was there some type of a strategy that you used to say seventy five percent and twenty five percent is the right mix for me? No, not really. Okay. So I think I, that's that's really one thing that is uh, I think a big factor here is that you're not exactly diversified, and you also don't know whether or not that's the right mix for you. Yeah, James. Maybe you look at what you're doing in the IRA and say to yourself, "Is there any investment that I have here that I can't get?" in the other account? Or is are there services with the IRA that I'm not getting with the other account? And if the answer is yes, either, then maybe that's the reason you're looking for that you don't want to consolidate. I think what Isabel was getting at with the C fund is we'd prefer that you have some in the S and some in the I. We're not trying to talk you into taking more risk, but that would actually diversify some in case, look, if we look backwards, large cap US have done pretty well. But over the next year, three or five, the C might actually trail the S and the I. We don't know future performance, but by adding some of those other components or within the IRA, adding some of those categories, I think you would diversify and actually maybe lower risk compared to what you have right now. If you want to have somebody take a deeper look, you could give us a call at 888-PLAN-RICK. Okay, thank you. You're welcome, James. Thanks for calling. Hey, speaking of the TSP, big news for federal employees. Right, so... Federal employees have access to something called the TSP, and the Thrift Savings Plan has just undergone some changes. So it was recently a bill was signed by President Trump to what's called the TSP Modernization Act of 2017. So as we've talked about a little bit, there historically have been some real limitations in the Thrift Savings Plan for people that were looking to try to generate some income or to take a regular income stream, take distributions either while they're working as an in-service withdrawal or after they've retired. So it was very prohibitive. You might be able to take one withdrawal and then your next withdrawal had to be the entire pot 
or if you were taking systematic withdrawals, you could only make one change per year. So it was really, it was really kind of hard for people to. It was absurdly right, restrictive. Right, so restrictive, and it, and it really didn't fit with anybody's retirement plans. So this rule change or law change has been enacted to try to make that a little bit easier. So now it's not taking effect yet. So it's yeah. So let's not get too excited yeah, about this. Right. It might be a couple of years before all of these ch- uh, rule changes are put into effect, but. The law change is going to make all of these distribution rules a little bit easier, it sounds like, where they're eliminating the requirement to to make those withdrawal elections be permanent. So stay tuned. When the rules get implemented, we'll let you know. But it's uh, in the long term, it's going to be good news for thrift savings account holders. So on a separate note, some exciting news about a recent award. The observatory at the Turner Farm in Great Falls, Virginia, has been honored by the Virginia Recreation and Park Society as the best new facility, bricks and mortar, I might add, in a population area greater than 100,000. Yeah, we're excited about this. Gene and I donated $75,000 for the uh, construction of the Roll Top Observatory. What's a roll? What, what is a roll top yeah, observatory? You're giving me this weird look, <laughs> Isabel. Um, an observatory. Um, it, it, it picture a building where the roof rolls out of the way so the telescopes can see the sky, but you're surrounded by four walls. It's warmer. Cool. So that when you're in the dead of winter looking up at the stars, you get to see this. But here's the the crazy part. It was a very nice award ceremony. Hundreds of people attended. Uh, Congressman uh, Jerry Connolly was there. And he announced that um, he entered into the congressional record the award that we received, which was a very nice honor. And they presented us a very nice plaque, uh, Gene and me. And here's the uh, reprint of the congressional record. Look at this. Uh, oh, oh, brother, the hmm. dogs. Summer ate it. Oh, boy. Um, so it, I, 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 I I'm, like, right. don't want to call the congressman and say, can you give me another <laughs> copy? Um, <laughs> The, was really, the dog ate my homework. Yeah, he he, he ate our certificate. Um, anyway, he did so, a great job. So we're very excited that the Roll Top Observatory was a big success and got recognition from Virginia. And uh, so yeah, very cool. Congratulations. Des- despite Summers uh, eating the award. <laughs> hey, you know how I was used to tell you to go to rickedelman.com and click that red button. I want to talk to an advisor. Can't do that anymore. We have something even better. You don't click to talk to an advisor. You now click to schedule a call. So exactly. This is going to make it a lot easier to work this into your schedule. So it is rickedelman.com. In the upper right-hand corner, it's a red button, and it now says schedule a call. And once you get into the box, it's going to allow you to type in your location, and you're going to be able to uh, book a 30-minute introductory call with a financial planner in a time that's convenient for for both of you. And hopefully, uh, we'll make it a lot easier to not play phone tag or email tag and uh, and get in some calendar and get that call underway quickly. So just go to rickedelman.com and click on that red button that says schedule a call. Stay tuned for more on the truth about money. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? 
No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It's hour two of the Truth About Money here on KFI AM 640. Welcome back to the program. Rick Edelman here on this holiday weekend with Brander Brander what? Brenda Bell. What the hell is your name? <laughs> You're going way back. Uh, I'm not feeling good. What does that stand for? Oh, yeah. Brandon Corso and Isabel Barrow in the studio. Look, I got bronchitis. Don't bother me. <laughs> and um, you know what? You know, what? You know, everybody's thankful for Thanksgiving. Um, I'm not. I'm annoyed. And it's not just because of my bronchitis. It's because of financial service firms, the Wall Street machine, where they hold themselves up as holier than thou, proclaiming to have a selfless mission for your sake without regard to their own goals and efforts, only to then discover that they've been lying about all of that. And here we have a big story from the New York Times about TIAA. It's hard for me not to say CREF after I hear you say TIAA. But they dropped the CREF, but um, on to what really matters. A group of former employees recently brought a whistleblowing complaint. According to published reports, the former employees are saying that TIAA pushed its customers into products that do not add value, may not be suitable, and generate higher fees. This is an organization that roams, you know, their salespeople roam the halls of hospitals and schools all around the country selling retirement accounts, typically very often annuity products. That's what the A in TIAA stands for, annuities. That's the Teachers Insurance Annuity Association is what TIAA stands for. And, you know, supposedly they're there to help school teachers save for their retirement. We all know school teachers don't make a heck of a lot of money, and it's really hard for them to save like it is for so many Americans. And here along comes TIAA. And now, according to the New York Times, New York State has issued a subpoena to TIAA. The New York Attorney General's office has issued subpoenas on the sales practices, arguing that they're selling products that are in TIAA's best interest and not the school teachers. Right, and TIAA Craft was founded, like you said, initially in the 1900s by the Carnegie Foundation with an initial million dollar donation to help teachers who were having no access to pensions. So, you know, I've always heard of TIA Cref as uh, the for the greater good, right? And well, in this case, I guess it's for the greater good of their pocketbooks because yeah, well, what we're hearing now is that there was aggressive sales tactics, that there was intimidation in a, on a regular basis of employees who were questioning the sales practices and the unrealistic goals that were being put upon them. And and now it's coming out in this whistleblower complaint. So it's, it's very interesting, especially considering that TIAA, in many cases, has been required to act as a fiduciary in, uh, in some of these accounts. And they apparently have violated their fiduciary duty of serving the best interests of their customers. The bottom line is this. You should not rest blindly on the marketing claims of an organization. Just because they say that they're doing something or that they claim to have a certain approach, don't assume that that's the case. The best strategy is to get a second opinion. You know, if you're buying a washing machine, you're going to comparison shop. If you're going to buy an automobile, you're going to test drive several cars. If you're going to send your kid to college, you're going to visit several campuses. 
do the same thing with your hard-earned money when it comes to retirement planning. Talk to several advisors at several different firms to get an understanding as best you can on a comparison basis, as opposed to just assuming that the outfit that's roaming the hallways of your employment workplace is therefore in your best interest merely because they got permission to roam those halls. Enter Wells Fargo. Oh, jeez. Yep, I'm sorry to say, if you've been listening to this show, you've heard over the last year us keep you current on the stories coming from the large bank, Wells Fargo. They have opened millions of customer accounts without the customers actually knowing it. Well, in, a, in another story, they agreed to repay five over $5 million to over 450 military service members whose vehicles they repossessed illegally, according to the U.S. Department of Justice. So they gave these service members car loans. The service members weren't able to pay the high costs, and they repossessed the cars improperly? In violation of the Federal Service Members Civil Relief Act of 2006 and 2016. It's almost as if they are, I mean, this is like you laugh or you cry. So how much, how many more stories about Wells Fargo do you need to hear before you're going to close your bank account there? Before you're going to dump the credit card you got from them? How many more stories do you need to hear about the unethical, illegal behavior of this organization? I, I think sometimes people are just blindly loyal. You know, if it's the closest bank that's... Closest bank? Right. I assure you there's another branch of another company across the street. <laughs> right. right? I mean, these things congregate like birds. I mean, I, everywhere you look, there's bank branches all over the place. It's, I get it. It's inertia. Yeah. yeah. Right? It's a nuisance. We know what it's like. In particular, if you have like a savings account, or I should say checking account, where you've got money moving, perhaps your paychecks automatically being deposited, or you have money moving automatically out of your account, that's right. where it becomes, I, I guess, harder to do. But whether you own investments there, you have a mortgage there, you have bank accounts there, when you hear these reports coming out, and acknowledge the payments and penalties they're paying, you got to ask yourself the question. Yeah. And what about if you are going to search for a new credit card or a new car loan or a new bank CD? Why would you open those brand new from scratch at an institution that has demonstrated such a wanton disregard of the concern and interests of the customer? And yet, Thousands of people continue to do this. They, people still keep opening bank accounts and credit card accounts and obtain mortgages from Wells Fargo. I don't get it. I don't get it either. I, I've heard that one of the reasons that people don't like to change their bank accounts is because of the bill pay feature. So if you have all your bills paid, you don't you know, get those bills on paper anymore. So that can make it a little bit harder to move. But now banks are recognizing this and they're just helping you. They have a bill pay service where if you're going to switch your bank, they're going to go ahead and say, we're just going to transfer over all your bills. So oh, that shouldn't be a sticking point anymore. Oh, so in other words, it's, it's a lot easier to change your bank nowadays because they'll facilitate the process. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, there you go. So, okay, you got a Wells Fargo account? Explain to your five-year-old why. So explain it to a five-year-old I'm, story for you. I'm driving last weekend uh, with my seven-year-old and my five-year-old in the back seat. And I 
they usually actually pick the music in, in our cars. So chalk it up to mistake 10,000 that Amy and I have probably made as parents, but they pick the music. Well, I was particularly irritated because I couldn't get them out of the house and we were running late. So I actually put on a podcast of our show. You mean I was punishment? <laughs> Is that we were, hey, me? collectively, we were punishment. Well, that coming from the back seat, we heard all kinds of, you can't be serious. I've got to listen to this. They were yelling out the song that they want to play because that's what they're used to. And I said, no, I'm going to listen to the Rick Edelman show. They know that I'm part of it. And so, but they didn't like it, obviously. And so I said, you're going to listen to this show. And they said, who's Rick? And I said, well, he's the guy who runs the show, he's my boss. So when you talk to a seven-year-old and a five-year-old, you throw out these words and they don't know what it means. And it creates other questions. So the question becomes, what's a boss? And I try to answer it. It's the person that you work for. It's the person that you work with. What do you guys do? I try to explain it. Well, why, why is he the boss? Why is he the person that makes the decisions? And then so Amy pipes in and says, he's the one that can fire you. <laughs> and so, and the kids don't know what that means. So they're like, what does that mean? What does it mean to be fired? And so we're, we're really going down a trap. And then we, we describe that by saying, he's the one who can cut off your paychecks. And then Tommy, who's seven, something kind of clicks in his mind and it's kind of quiet. And then all of a sudden he goes, Okay, Dad, you can listen. <laughs> <laughs> well, Rick, maybe you should uh, take some pointers from Brandon's children for the new book here. <laughs> so, book yeah, writing. so now, now these kids are in total fear of me if they were ever to see me. You're the guy who can fire me and take away my paycheck. Yeah, which would take away their toys. Uh, okay, gee, thanks, Brandon. I, that's, I'm thrilled. <laughs> So but, that's a good – we'll have to see what their behavior is like next time around you. Yes, and so, so next time they do something wrong, you the, can say either stop that behavior or I'm going to bring Rick over here. I'm going to make you gonna listen go, to one of Rick's podcasts. They're pretty good persuaders. They'll probably come give you a hug, and at the end of the day, they're going to try to get me a bonus or something. Oh, that, <laughs> uh, that might work, actually. These kids are well. smart. Yeah, yeah, I can imagine. Smart parents, smart kids. Mm. Stay with us for more on The Rick Edelman Show. We'll be back, Triple Eight. Plan Rick, 888-752-6742, online at ricedelman.com. Let's get the latest from Larry Perel on the KFI Newsroom. Welcome back to the Rick Edelman Show. I know you're really digging that music, but here's another piece of music I want you to listen to. Check out this jingle. That is kind of a nice jingle. Yeah, except that they're bringing good things to life. They killed their stock price. What's they, going on with GE? They have not been bringing good things to the investors. So if you look year to date, the, the stock's down about 40% in value. And of course, this is at the same time that the broad markets are actually up nicely year to date. And so just recently, they cut their dividend in half. So if somebody's been living on the income from the dividends, you're going to get about half of what you were getting before. And they really slashed their profit projections, too. Now, this is one of the oldest, biggest, best-known companies in America. Just 15 years ago, it was the most valuable company in the United States. The market cap, it was the biggest company. And today is a very different story. And so there's a lesson to be learned here. And what is that lesson, Isabel? So the message is don't buy individual stocks. It, let's look back to 2008 most recently, and then even, even prior to that in the 2001 era, we had the tech bubble. And you had people with concentrations in companies like Bank of America or 
Enron or WorldCom or Bear Stearns. I mean, you know, what's happened is we're seeing that this is just creating something called asystematic risk. And you don't want to put yourself in that situation where just like if you're an investor in GE, you've watched your value go down 40% and now you're getting your dividend cut. And maybe that was a dividend that you were relying on for income. And where we see a lot more of this in concentrated stock positions is with people who work for a company and therefore have some sense or some uh, impression that they know a lot about that company and I'm going to hold a lot of my stu- my um, personal investments in that company's stock, maybe in my 401k, or maybe I'm going to hold my, uh, my stock options in this company. Well, that's a heck of a lot of additional risk that you're taking when, hey, your job is with that company. If that company is not doing well anymore. If that company is GE, for example, and you've got all your money in GE stock, yeah, now your job's at risk. And what about your pension? And what about you know your investments? Yeah, so this is a huge problem. It's really fascinating when you put it in that context, Isabel, that, okay, it's bad enough if you have a lot of GE stock because you just watched it fall 40% this year. But if you work at GE and you have GE in your 401k, and you have a lot of stock options as part of your compensation to GE, all your eggs are in one basket, which is why we argue that diversification can help defend you against this, that if you work for Coke, buy Pepsi. Not because we prefer one over the other, but you shouldn't have your money and your time in the same place. I think it's natural human nature to just say it's not going to happen to my company. And yeah. so to me, this is the perfect example that it really can happen to your company. And I'll take it a step further. Not only do people say, this can't happen to my company, I've seen a lot of people say, I work there and therefore I know what's going on. Oh, well, you don't know what your competitors are doing. You don't know what perhaps other risks, maybe political risks, might be lurking. There are too many unknowns. And so to me, GE is the example that it can happen to your company because GE was one of the biggest most respected, very diversified if you look at their business, and that's perhaps one of the problems, but it happened to GE, it can happen to your company. And so the message is, if you have a lot of money in GE, but anything else, any one place, any one company, any one category of investments, you're taking too much risk. And it can happen to you. You shouldn't do that. You shouldn't take that amount of risk. There's no reason to, because you should be diversified, mitigating your risks. So you just protect yourself as best you can. And by doing what, what Isabel, has the best way to solve this dilemma? To talk to an advisor. And that's got to be the first step, is to come up with what's an appropriate asset allocation for you, first of all. And, and the majority of your returns are going to be based on your asset allocation, not the individual things that you're choosing. So to talk to someone and develop a plan and develop a strategy, um, there's a great place to start with our website, Go to our GPS, our Guide to Portfolio Selection. It's in the upper right-hand corner, a blue button. And when you click on that, it's going to pull up a couple of other questions that you can enter your information, and you will then get a result, which is a customized pie chart that's going to help you with understanding what is an appropriate asset allocation given your goals. And to take it even a step further, if you have any additional questions other than just, hey, let me check out this asset allocation and see what might be a fit, you have any other financial planning questions, then 
schedule a call. Click on the red button and see if you can talk to someone about those questions uh, in, in a lot more depth. So here's an easy way to give you a guide as to whether you are over-concentrated or not in your portfolio. Because a lot of folks do receive stock as part of their compensation at work. They get stock options or they uh, invest in stock in their 401k at work or you've inherited stock from your parents. Here's a basic guideline. If you were to talk to the typical mutual fund manager, the typical professional money manager, you would discover that they would never place more than 3% of their total assets in a single stock. No more than 3%. That number, I think, is really low. When I compare it to individuals, we've seen it, Brandon, how many times where they have 10, 20, 30% of their net worth in a single stock. We've seen clients where their entire net worth is in a single stock. All the time. And as you said, it's often wrapped up when you're working for the company. A lot of times companies give a 401k match in their company shares, and it may limit your ability to, to diversify out for some, to some age or some date. And so, but we see it all the time. And it's, it's incredibly important if you look at your account and you see a concentration, you have a lot of money in one place, one stock, that you do something about it. If you want help doing something about it, please reach out to us. Um, Isabel said that you could try our GPS. To me, that is a great first step because it gives you a pie chart and you can kind of compare it to what you might have on your own. And if it looks really different, guess what? That's an indication that, you know what, something might be wrong with the way I'm invested today. And as Isabel said, I'd love for you to follow up with a phone call and have a deeper conversation, a back and forth with an advisor who can look at it and give you ideas about what you can do differently because there can be ways to diversify out of that concentrated position that won't be, if you're viewing it to be painful or expensive or a lot of taxes, it might not be. Yeah, I was going to say one of the reasons why people, investors, will stick with what they have when it comes to individual stocks is they're concerned about paying their capital gains. Well, and at the end of the day... Hey, GE investors don't have to worry about that anymore. That's right. Well, yeah, so you can either lose all the money and you don't have to worry about the capital gains anymore, or you're just going to have to pay the capital gains. That's just the the result of making money. So pat yourself on the back, make money. Remember, capital gains are a good thing. Right means you've profited. You want the biggest profit, even if that means a big capital gain. So you're absolutely right, Isabel. So often people refuse to sell a stock merely because they don't want to pay the tax. Right. And that's letting the tax tail wag the investment dog. And that is stupid. Oh, she just called someone stupid. <laughs> she, I love that word. She's saying it how it is. And so I learned it from you. (laughs) I go back to you owe it to yourself to look at how you're invested, because if you have too much money in one company, it can happen to you like it happened to a lot of GE investors this week. And so take a look at how you're invested. Should you change? I don't know. We'll figure that out. You can reach out to us and we'll help you figure it out. Triple eight plan Rick. That's eight 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 seven five two sixty seven forty two or online at rickedelman.com. As Rick likes to say, that's ricedelman.com. Yeah, they call me Rice. We're going to be back on the program, so I want you to stay with us. We've got lots of telephone calls coming up. And big news in the world of Alzheimer's. 
All that plus your phone calls. Triple Eight Plan Rec online at ricedelman.com. Let's get the latest from Larry Perel in the KFI newsroom. Welcome back to the program. Theodore's on the telephone here on the Rick Edelman Show. Akakik, Maryland. Theodore, how are you? Thanks for taking my call. Uh, my question is in reference to the Equifax debacle. I was wondering, in addition to using the security measures available at individual financial institutions, would you think it additionally prudent to employ a service like LifeLock? So, Thank you, Theodore. We're still getting questions about this pretty frequently, Isabel. Um, so let's take a couple steps back and kind of bring people up to speed that are... With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you Lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Listening about this whole Equifax situation. So hundreds of millions of Americans have been affected by data breaches nationwide. And we should all be taking measures to protect ourselves and, and assume that your information and all of our information has probably been compromised. So there's a couple of important things. And to answer your question, there's not one particular service that we can recommend over another for this credit monitoring. But in general, we would suggest that you have credit monitoring and that you be looking at your credit reports on a regular basis. So it's really important that we all be really diligent about this now. And there are some, uh, to take it maybe even a step further here, Theodore, do you have some reason to believe that you've been compromised or that your identity has been stolen? No, I don't. uh, Not any more than anyone else. But uh, I was a little concerned about whether or not uh, we should take additional measures over these financial institutions available uh, um, security measures. Yeah. And Theodore, our perspective would be the more the better because Equifax, as we all know, was almost 150 million consumers. So our attitude is we should all assume that our information has been compromised and and stolen. So we need to be as careful as we can. We need to do the little things because we need to look at our bank statements. We we all live a very busy lives, and it's the last thing we want to do is look line by line on uh, the bank statement that comes or that you go online and you look at. But at the end of the day, we need to. We need to do the same thing to the credit cards. We need to check our credit report. We can do that free once a year at annualcreditreport.com. There are three credit rating bureaus that – you can check. And so, and then we're talking about credit monitoring service. So to have something in place makes sense. We've been talking. Yeah, I to be- use all of those measures. Uh, yeah. Which is good, which is good. So maybe have you considered freezing your credit? I mean, that's something that's come up quite a bit recently. If people are really looking to go the, the last mile and they're still uncomfortable, freezing your credit is something that you might want to consider. I have already done that, and I know in the past Rick has mentioned that it's sort of like closing the barn door after the horses are gone, but uh, I still went ahead and did it. Yeah, well, good for you. I mean, it sounds like you're doing all the things you need to be, which I'm impressed because often it's hard to put this on top of everything else in our daily lives. 
Mm-hmm. And Theodore, you're doing all like like Brandon said, you're doing all the right things. I think for our listeners who are wondering, well, you know, are these steps that I need to take as well? I, in general, the answer is yes, especially if you think you've been compromised. Now, if you think that or if you have proof that your identity has been actually stolen, then you need to take it even further. So the FTC has a website set up called Identity Theft. And they have there a list of action steps that you can take depending on what information has been compromised. Uh, So you may need to be filing a police report. You should certainly be changing your passwords and logins and contacting your financial institutions, bank accounts, credit cards, and possibly changing your Mm -hmm. account numbers. Um, So it's got to be reported. You need to uh, be communicating this with any and all uh, institutions that you work with. And certainly in that case, freezing your credit. And you need to do that with each credit agency. If you were part of the Equifax security breach, they have a website, Equifax Security 2017. That's Equifax Security 2017.com. And that's where you're going to go to sign up for their free credit monitoring for a year. Right. Yeah. I have actually done uh, all the things that you mentioned. And uh, and some, some agencies or, or financial institutions are actually really good about it, including things like uh, voice recognition uh, logon. Right. That's a that's a big one. Uh, you know, it's authentication in your logins as well. One of the things that I think people need to look out for as well, if they do think that they've had their identity stolen or they have been uh, subject to some uh, criminal activity here is looking out for federal tax uh, filing. Um, One of the things that the crooks will do with your information is file a fake tax return and try to get your refund. Uh, So that's a big one. So so just, you know, paying attention and being diligent here is the most important thing that you can do. But Theodore, it sounds like you're you're taking all the right steps here. And I would encourage uh, anyone else who's listening to, to pay attention to that. Well, thanks very much. I appreciate it. Well, we appreciate the call, and thanks for bringing it back to all of our attentions, because one of our attitudes is this is not going away. If over 100 million people's information is out there, I don't know how many thieves and and so on and crooks there are out there, but there's a lot. But there's still, it's going to take time for them to determine who they're going to try to compromise. And so, look, this is something that's not going away. We have to stay diligent, like Theodore. And also something to consider is to reach out to your parents or grandparents and say, hey, have you done some of these steps? And reach out to family and friends and make sure that they're doing everything they can to protect their identity, because by all means, uh, we're all targets today. Your comment about uh, this may not happen right away is what I was thinking about. It could be years, and uh, and down the line, you may not be thinking about it, and that's why I was thinking maybe a monitoring service might be a good way to go. Very well said. Absolutely true. Um, And let's face it, we don't want it to happen, but there's probably going to be additional breaches in the future. We can't control everything, but we should certainly take all the precautions that we can. Thank you for calling. All right. Thank you. Theodore, thanks so much for the telephone call. Hey, guess what Bill Gates said this past week? He said, quote, we need a breakthrough in Alzheimer's. Bill Gates wrote in his blog, of all the disorders that plague us late in life, one stands out as a particularly big threat to society, Alzheimer's disease. And so Bill Gates has just announced that he has invested $50 million and is going to invest another $50 million, deserving the applause of the day, targeting Alzheimer's. 
we've been talking a lot about it on the program here of late. As you know, Gene and I have made an offer to donate $25 million to the XPRIZE Foundation for the creation of an Alzheimer's XPRIZE. And our team has been in contact with Bill Gates. He's well aware of the work that we're doing with uh, the Alzheimer's XPRIZE, and we're well aware of the work that he's doing. It's exciting, terribly exciting, that Bill Gates, one of the most prominent people on the planet, is recognizing the critical issue that Alzheimer's represents for society. But here's the fascinating thing. Bill Gates did not make a donation here. This is a point I think most people have failed to really grasp. What he did was made an investment in the Dementia Discovery Fund. This is a private investment fund based out of London that targets investments in companies that are working on cures, treatments for Alzheimer's. And Gates has invested $50 million. In other words, his basic attitude is there's a lot of money to be made investing in companies seeking cures and treatments for Alzheimer's. Isn't that cool? I mean, can you imagine if a cure was developed by a company? Uh, it would be the, the biggest blockbuster yeah. drug ever. Um, it would be. We can only hope. We absolutely. Can only hope. And, and Gates is saying, you know what? He, you know, we know the Gates Foundation is one of the biggest philanthropic organizations on the planet. And ordinarily, you would think, well, wouldn't he donate via his foundation? He's like, you know what? Not this time, because it's private companies, it's pharmaceutical companies, it's um, product innovation companies, technology companies that are developing this stuff, and he's recognizing. You can do well by doing good. So it's really quite exciting. The, the, the Dementia Discovery Fund was launched in 2015 and includes drug makers GlaxoSmithKline, Johnson & Johnson, Eli Lilly, Pfizer, and Biogen, as well as the government of the United Kingdom. So very exciting uh, that he's doing this. And um, we're, I, I'm thrilled to see somebody as prominent as, as Bill Gates joining me, I will laughingly say, in the effort to help cure Alzheimer's. Well, it's fantastic. The more money, the more attention that we can devote to curing the disease, the better. So, so that's one, fantastic. One news. scary statistic. Here's our scary Alzheimer's statistic of the week. Uh oh. We're going to produce four million babies this year in the United States. That's how many babies will be born, which means I'll call it eight million parents. That's not necessarily accurate, as we know, a lot of single parents. Um, but you've got basically four million new parental units. We will also produce this year 20 million new caregivers in this country. 20 million? That's right. We are producing five times as many caregivers as we are parents of newborns. Wow. That is a scary statistic because most of those caregivers, like parents, are family. Most are unpaid incurring expenses that are not reimbursed and we're producing far more patients needing care annually than we are brand new babies that's a scary statistic bill gates gets it we get it too and i think so do you so that's uh, that's why we're working so hard gene and me on uh working with the alzheimer's x prize to try to jumpstart a cure treatment diagnosis for this deadly disease which well, is very exciting Stay with us here on the Rick Edelman Show, Triple H Plan Rick, online at ricedelman.com. Let's get the latest from Larry Perel on the KFI Newsroom. 
Rick Edelman here. We're taking telephone calls. Brandon Corso, Isabel Barrow with us in the studio. Brandon. Gerald from Florida, welcome to the program. Thank you. Uh, during one of your shows, it was explained that there is there is some risk to bonds. And then you turned around and suggested short-term and intermediate bonds be used in a portfolio. And I'm wondering, during this unusual interest rate time caused by the Fed, why do we even take a risk? The reward is terrible in the bonds. Why don't we just use something else instead of the stock and instead of the bonds? Ed, that's a great question. I think the answer, there's several, but one is that something else has risk, too. So when we talk about the different places we can invest our clients' money, it makes sense to say, well, well within this category, what's the risk? And so I, there's not a category you can invest in that doesn't have a risk associated to it. The problem is if you eliminate something entirely, you're going to go to something else that, else that has risks, too. So I think, Gerald, you're, if I could back up and make sure everybody's on, on board with us, if you've been listening to this show for any period of time, one of the things that we're trying to make sure everybody is well aware is interest rates are around all-time lows. And if they rise or when they rise, that does hurt the value of bonds, hurts the price of bonds. So I think if tell me if I'm understanding your question right. You're saying if, if that's the case, why own bonds at all? Yeah, I could put money in cash and not worry about losing money or put it into a you know, two-year CD and get almost 2%. Well, those are two different alternatives, so let me kind of talk about each. If you put it in cash, and let's just say that you go to checking account and the interest rate's zero, um, you are losing money, right? Because if inflation's one or two, the purchasing power is going backwards. So that's a little bit different than the, the CD alternative. Look, one thing is this. Everybody gets fixated on the Fed, right? And they have said that our central bank has said that they expect to raise short-term interest rates in the coming year or so. But they also say, if you look at them, they say they're continually monitoring the situation. And if something goes wrong in the economy, we have to accept that there's a chance that doesn't happen. If we hit a big bump, whether it's, God forbid, terrorism or something else in the economy, we don't know. The Fed is not saying we're going to raise rates by this amount on this date. They're saying it's our expectation that we do. But if something goes wrong, they don't. So if something goes wrong in the economy, guess what happens? Interest rates over the next year or so could trend actually down. So part of the reason we invest in bonds is, one, because we don't want to be too concentrated in the other stuff. The other is we don't know with certainty that rates are going to go up over the next year. And, Gerald, also, we could make this point, your point, with any asset class, right? We could say there is risk in stocks. Why would I be in stocks? Well, because over the long term, we're looking for that long-term return. We know that there's volatility in the short term. All we're doing by having this conversation about bonds is pointing out that bonds don't carry no risk. We don't want people to believe or investors to believe that by buying bonds, they're insulating themselves completely from downside risk. And every investment that you make, to your point, Brandon, carries some risk. But our point is one that in order to mitigate the long-term risk of any one investment having a big drop and having being a, a large drag on your portfolio is that you stay diversified. You have some stocks and some bonds and some real estate and some alternatives. But if you're really, really diversified, I think that's the bigger point, is that what what we're trying to do is, is remind you that every investment you make carries some risk, but diversification is our way of, as investors, mitigating a lot of those risks of, of uh, riding a roller 
coaster that you got to jump off at the top. You know, we want to be on sort of the kiddie ride instead of the the really big, scary ones. And that's what diversification can do. And and really owning bonds is a way of protecting yourself against the risk of huge drops in the stock market being a major drag on your portfolio returns over the long term. And that let me underscore that long term. What happens in the short term could certainly cause your bonds to go down in value. But again, let's focus on the long term and what our objectives are. Does that make sense, Gerald? Yeah, but the long term, meaning not in the next six months or 12 months or two years even, inflation is a factor that not just the, the cash side of it, but higher inflation. We're at you know, unusual numbers, 2%. The average has been 3 3.5%, and the 80s is 15 20%, whatever it was. The Fed's, you know, the government's not always good at hitting targets, and the, there's not much going down. So I lose a little bit of inflation in three or four or five years whenever this inflation goes up. But I could lose a lot more than the little bit they're projecting to go forward. Whatever their goal is, they often don't achieve it. So I'm, I'm more concerned that I get high inflation that knocks the value of those bonds down that nowhere pays me. And I'm still protecting myself to be out of the stock market and avoid the interest rate. Now, as, infl- as interests go up, you know, pushing myself back into bonds makes perfect sense. But a lot of seniors think they're safe, which is uh, what you're saying on your warnings. So, you know, is there the risk? What do you get for your... Your 2% interest, you get a 5% potential loss for every 1% goes up. And now, three or four years down the road, you might have more than 1% go up. So, it, you know, it doesn't, it, it makes sense in the long run to protect against that risk, too, which is, I guess, why you're saying it in the first place. Well, you made a lot of points there, and I don't, I don't disagree with them. I think which one of the things you said is look, the Fed could get it wrong. In other words, they're looking at all the data out there and trying to make the best decisions they can on uh, any number of things, but they may end up raising rates too quickly or too slowly or what have you. Interest rates rise more quickly or inflation rises more quickly. I think what we're all agreeing on is we just don't know the future. And so what Isabel said is spot on, which is we need to make sure that we're all very well diversified. One of the things that we've learned over the years, Gerald, is when people reach out to us, and, they, and they're considering having us help them manage their account. Either they're using an advisor and they're not happy, or they're doing it themselves. There's so often times at which people who come to us for a second opinion don't really understand what it is that they own. We see this a lot in bonds. And so people don't understand that there's risk in bond. They don't understand the difference in risk in t- between short-term bonds and long-term bonds. And so if you have a bond that matures in two years, if interest rates go up, you are not going to be hurt badly in terms of interest rate risk. If you have a bond that matures in 20 years, it's night and day if interest rates goes up. And so that's one of the things that we're focusing on. But if if you're saying to yourself, look, I'm worried about interest rates going up and I'm just going to do CDs and I'm not going to do bonds. If you see interest rates shoot up over the next several years, then it might work out to your favor and your benefit. But the other point I was making is, if something derails the economy, interest rates might surprise us. Think of the stock market. Think of the bond market. Think of the real estate market going backward over five or ten years. I think we would all agree that it has a tendency to surprise us all, whether it's your, you know, you do this full time or whether you just do it a little bit here or there. All of these markets are unpredictable. So if interest rates don't pop up like you think that they will by playing it all in cash you're going to give up some you're going to give up some upside income 
And prognosticators of this are historically very wrong. So no one really has ever been able to correctly predict uh, on a regular basis what decisions the Fed's going to make and why. So I think that while we all sort of tend to jump on this bandwagon, so to speak, that interest rates are going to rise and this is going to have this ultimate effect on bonds, and, and it very well may, it's yet again, we don't want to try to look into this crystal ball and say, we know what's going to happen and therefore we're going to try to position ourselves again. It. And the more diversified you can be in owning your bond portfolio, the more insulated you may be to those interest rate risks going forward. So again, it's not that there's one right solution to every problem. It's that we're trying to mitigate the risk of being wrong by having this broad diversification. That goes for not just being diversified in your stocks, between stocks and bonds and alternatives, but being diversified within your bonds. So that's really the point that we've been trying to make to people is not to stay away from bonds because of the interest rate risk, but rather to keep in mind that your bond portfolio needs to be diversified in the right way to, to help you mitigate some of that risk over the long term. Does that make sense, Gerald? Yes, thank you. Well, Gerald, thanks so much for your call. We appreciate it. And uh, if you'd like to give us a call and, and get some help with uh, understanding what might be a, a good allocation for you, we'd love to hear from you. 888-PLAN-RICK. Thanks a lot. Gerald, thanks for the phone call. I'm Rick Edelman with Brandabelle. Brandon, thank you so much. Isabel, wonderful job as always. Uh, 164 million shoppers this weekend. Are you two among them? N- not, not a chance. Not in the malls, anyway. I'm probably going to have to go ahead and do some uh, early shopping this year, yes. Uh, well, uh, good luck to you. I'll stay at home. Uh, and see you next week here on The Truth About Money. Triple A, plan Rick online at ricestelman.com. Remember, if you love the show, tell a friend. If you hate the show, tell an enemy. See you next week. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.